Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can send messages to the show. At uh, on Twitter at go for again g o f o r i t g a n t. You also can hit us up on the chat room here at blogtalkradio.com/pgan. We're going to talk sports and have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Hall of Famer, NBA legend, the one, the only Isaiah Thomas. He's going to stop on by. We're going to talk a little NBA playoffs with him. Also going to talk. About the Bad Boy Pistons, and if you saw the 30 for 30 documentary on the Bad Boy Pistons, uh, you would know some of the great stories that Isaiah has to tell about that particular team. I mean, it was an amazing time for the Bad Boys and an amazing run by the Bad Boy Pistons, and we're going to talk to Isaiah about all those things associated with the Bad Boy Pistons. Also, expected to be joined by a couple NFL prospects expect to be joined by defensive tackle from Arkansas, Robert Thomas. And Robert's going to talk about his preparation for the upcoming NFL draft. Robert broke his leg midseason for Arkansas, but uh, he ultimately had a little. He had a, a private workout recently, uh, in the beginning of this month. So he had a private workout. So we're going to ask Robert how that's going, how's the leg, and how's how's everything going with him as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Also, we're going to be joined by Brendan Kelly of Wisconsin as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft, get his thoughts on the process, on the preparation. Brendan, before his pro day, actually hurt his hamstring. So we're going to ask the, about the health of his hamstring and uh, how he's doing as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. I mean, that's got to be a big blow for a guy uh, like Brendan who, who needs those pro days to show scouts, GMs, coaches alike what he can do. So we're going to talk to Brendan about that. So make sure you stick around. Robert Thomas will be joining us at 1.35 p.m. ES. Uh, 1.35 p.m. also, uh, Brendan Kelly will be joining us at 2.10, and then Isaiah Thomas, NBA legend, will be joining us at 2.35. Great show for you today. Make sure you stick around. It should be a lot of fun. I want to start in the NBA now. You you have last night's games. Uh, you had Houston, and you had the Chicago Bulls fighting for their playoff lives at this point, fighting for their season, essentially. And <clears> – <throat> Reality is in the NBA, reality is in, in pretty much any pro sport that has the series, you know, baseball, hockey, NBA. Bottom line, you go down 3-0, it's pretty much a done deal. It's pretty much a done deal. Never happened in the NBA. No one has come back from 3-0. So in the NBA, you go down 3-0, it's a done deal, series over. So Houston and Chicago were fighting for their season. Obviously, you lose the first two home games in your building. You lose your first two games in your building. You lose those games, 
it's going to be difficult for you to win a series. But I, I, as I said, I was talking about this off there, and I was saying, you know what? These two teams being out down 2-0, even though they lost their first two games in their own building, these series aren't over. And I look at the Chicago Bulls, this is a tough-minded bunch. And for me, I look out how they played last year in the playoffs, and I look out how they played throughout the course of this regular season, and I just look at how they played the last two to three years without the services of Derrick Rose. This is a tough-minded basketball team. So I knew this team, the Bulls being tough-minded, and even the Houston Rockets for that matter, but I, I, I thought the Houston Rockets from a different reason, for a different reason would still have an opportunity in this series, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But even with the Chicago Bulls, I knew this was a mentally tough team. Their coach is tough. Their players are tough. Noah, Heinrich. DJ Augustine, who's come in and really given them a big lift. You know, these are the hard-nosed, tough players. Boozer, for that matter. These are tough, hard-nosed players. And so you knew their coach is tough, their best player, and Noah is tough. So you knew with all that toughness that the Chicago Bulls have, I knew, I can't say you, but I knew that being down 2-0 wasn't the end of the world for the Chicago Bulls. Wasn't the end of the world. And Chicago Bulls last night, maybe it helped that Nene got ejected. I'm sure it didn't hurt. But you knew the Chicago Bulls were going to come out. You knew Chicago and Houston were going to come out with a sense of urgency. They know what's at stake. They know better than we do what's at stake. They know what's at stake. And so they came out, and they played. They played hard. And you knew that was going to happen. And they played some big, tough-minded basketball. I mean, Houston, you look at Houston going back and forth. That was a back-and-forth type of basketball game. And the thing about it, you know, these two teams evenly matched in the regular season. The average score between these two teams, 116 to 110. So it's close. The series has been close. A few plays here, a few plays there, and, and this series could be two of the other way around. So it, it's been a tough series, and you know the way these two teams defend, which is not very good. You know that points are going to be put up one twenty one and one sixteen. I'll tell you that. So you know it's going to be triple digits for both of these teams. You know that. I mean, Houston's twenty third, and again, in terms of points allowed, and and Portland is 22nd. So you know points are going to be scored, and you got a lot of guys who can flat out put the ball in the basket. Damian Lillard can put the ball in the basket. James Harden can put the ball in the basket. LaMarcus Aldridge has been filling it up, has been putting the ball in the basket. These guys can put the ball in the basket. And and you look at the first two games, while Aldridge – putting up 40-plus points, 89 in two games, 46 in game one, 43 in game two. Aldridge putting up big-time numbers, but conversely, James Harden struggled mightily in those first two games. Struggled mightily. Wasn't putting up the big-time numbers. 
that he needs, that his team needs to be successful. He wasn't putting up those numbers. I mean, game one, he was 8 for 28. 8 for 28. Got 27 points, but he was 8 for 28 and 3 for 14 from downtown. So he struggled. He struggled. Game two wasn't much better. 6 for 19 in game two. 6 for 18 from, in game two. 18 shots to get 18 points. Again, not a recipe for success. Not a recipe for success at all. 19 shots, excuse me, I, I'm corrected. But 18 points on 19 shots, not a recipe for success if you're James Harden and the Houston Rockets. And I watch these games with these two teams, and obviously if you're Houston, you needed James Harden to be better. He was better, but 13 for 35 isn't really – it's better because obviously you got the victory. It's better because you did, it did lead to 37 points, but 37 points on 35 shots, probably not the recipe for success. He's got to shoot better. He definitely, he definitely has to shoot much better if he wants his team to advance. He's got to shoot much better. He knows that. We know that. He's got to shoot much better. And if he does shoot better, obviously your Houston Rockets, the Houston Rockets have a better chance of winning this series. But if he continues to struggle, you know, if we, we continue to see 6 for 19, 8 for 28, well, of course the Rockets won't be able to come back in this series. Even 13 for 35 needs to be a little better. Needs to be a little better. But they got the victory. Troy Daniels is one of the reasons they got the victory. Off the bench, three for six, but those three shots were all three-point shots, none bigger than the shot in overtime to put them up 116 and 119. None bigger than that one. I mean, that, that was the shot of the game. That was the game, that shot. So none bigger than that. None bigger than that. So he was, you know, big time Troy Daniels, big time in that game, made big shots. And in the playoffs, you're going to need your role players to come off the bench and hit big shots. You're going to need it. Troy Daniels did that for the Houston Rockets. And Damian Lillard, he was, he was, he was big time. He was big time, put up some big time numbers. And I remember that stretch in that second quarter where he was just hitting threes left and right. 30 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists for Damian Lillard. He's a stud. He's a flat-out stud. But one of the differences in yesterday's game was LaMarcus Aldridge, 8 for 22, 23 points. That's a far cry from 43 and 8 in game one. Game two, excuse me. That's a far cry from 46 and 18 in game two, game one. That's a far cry from that. So you did a great job a better job of limiting LaMarcus Aldridge. Give Omar Sheik credit for that one. Give Sheik credit for that one. As he guarded LaMarcus Aldridge most of that game. Did a good job. But obviously, these two teams, you know, just moving forward from this series, if these two teams have any type of championship aspirations, they're going to have to be able to defend a lot better than they are in this series. 
It's just that's just obviously that's that's pretty obvious at this point. I don't think it takes much a genius to recognize that. But this is good basketball. This this is some back and forth, up tempo. If you love offense, you love this series. I mean, this is a high level of play here, high level of play. And so far, the Blazers have got the best of this, up two one. But even if you go down three one. Having the home court advantage is to your benefit. Even if you go down 3-1, if you're the Houston Rockets, I still think you're still in it. It's going to be harder. Obviously, you want to be 2-2. But if you're down 3-1, it's not the end of the world because of home court advantage. Because if you go down 3-1, you go back to your building, you find a way to get that victory, in your building, which should be a little easier than winning on the road, obviously. But judging by the first two games, who knows? But if you go back to your building, you win that one, now the series is 3-2. Then you go to Portland, you've proven that you can win on their home court. So you go to Portland, you win in Portland, and then you can get it back for game seven. But 3-0 is 3-0. It's a lot easier to be the team three games in a row than it is four games in a row. A lot easier. So, right now, the Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, series is far from over. Far from over. And so, we'll see what happens moving forward. But, obviously, James Harden has to continue to try to get out of his shooting slump. He's not shooting very well. They have to continue, the Houston Rockets have to continue to do a better job of defending LaMarcus Aldridge. You can't let him get off for 46 and 43. You can't let him get off for 89 points in two games. you got to do a better job of that. You did a better job of that last night. LaMarcus Aldridge only eight for 22 from the field. So you did a better job of that last night. So you got to do a better – got to continue that. And James Harden has to be big. Dwight Howard has to be big. This is going to be a long series. This is going to be a long series. I had Houston originally winning the series in six. I'm still saying Houston wins this series, but it's going to be an extra game in seven. I think Houston gets it done. But these two teams are very evenly matched. The regular season, they've been evenly matched, even though Houston won the regular season series three games to one, evenly matched. It was very evenly matched. Because, again, the average score was 116 to 110. And then you look at the first two games – Portland wins in overtime, and then they beat the Rockets by seven in game two. But the game's been close, and then Rockets come back and beat the Blazers by five. But that was in overtime, and that was a close game, and that was tied at 116 with under a minute to go. So these two teams are evenly matched. These two teams have played close basketball games. And I've heard a lot of people say this is the best series going on. It's one of the best series going on. And, that, and here's the thing. The NBA, you know, it's not one of those leagues like the NFL where, where parity is big and where the NBA tends to be top-heavy. I mean, going into this season, you probably said, okay, the Miami Heat, Indiana, OKC, San Antonio are the front runners. You know, you've heard Houston. You heard Clippers as well. 
But, I mean, you're, you're talking about five to six teams who you say, okay, legitimately could win it. And you can say that, I mean, and the point I'm trying to make is, more often than not, if you say Heat, OKC, in the NBA Finals, you're not going to get an argument. You're probably going to be close. You're probably going to be right, because I think that's what's going to be when it's all said and done. Heat, OKC, in the Finals. But most people have probably said that at the beginning of the year, or Heat, San Antonio. As to be, most people have said that in the beginning of the year. But the NBA is top-heavy. It's a top-heavy league. It's a superstar-driven league. But parity is, is reigning right now in these NBA playoffs, which is a recipe for success for your league, which is a recipe for success. One of the reasons the NFL is successful is because of the parity. It's because you, going into any year, really don't have a clue of who's going to win. I know a lot of people pick Seattle at the start of this season. But it could have been easily San Francisco. It could have been easily the Patriots in the Super Bowl, San Francisco and the Patriots. I mean, you know, it, it, no one – I didn't expect the Ravens a couple seasons ago to win the Super Bowl. A couple seasons – a season before that, I didn't expect Eli Manning and the Giants to win the Super Bowl. I didn't expect them to get there. Six seed. I didn't expect that. So the point I'm trying to make is NFL playoffs, the beauty of that is there is so much unpredictability. It's only one game, and anything can happen in one game. NBA, seven-game series, more often than not, the best team wins in a seven-game series. But you look at these series right now, and you can show, it's showing us, especially in the Western Conference, how evenly matched these teams really are. I mean, Memphis, is giving OKC all they could handle. But at the end of the day, Memphis is a 50-win team. They're a seventh seed, but they're a 50-win team. So is it really that much of an upset if OKC loses to Memphis? Yeah, I mean, it would be an upset because I think OKC is the better basketball team, and I expected OKC to win this series. But really – if you're OKC and in the first round you lose to a team that won 50 games, is it really an upset? Not really. Not really. But anyway, I don't expect Memphis to win that series even though they're up two games one. But looking at the other games, last night you had Chicago Bulls fighting for their lives. They get it done in Washington. You got the ejection with Nene. That didn't help the situation for the Washington Wizards. But I, I kind of expected the Bulls to win yesterday. I really did. I, I expected the Bulls to continue to try to make this series competitive. I expected them to make this series competitive moving forward. <clears throat> and so, you know, you got a situation with Mike Dunleavy just went three-point crazy last night. 35 big points. Obviously, you're not expecting 35 points from Mike Dunleavy. That's the unexpected. And that's what the NBA is about, these players stepping up. I mean, Mike Dunleavy was 12 for 9 from the field, 8 for 10 from downtown. So you don't expect 35 points coming from Mike Dunleavy. That's what you really don't expect, especially a guy who's had 11 and 9 in the first two games of the series. So that was the X factor for the Chicago Bulls yesterday. I mean, no, it was a pedestrian six points. 
I mean, Booze are only 14 points. Jimmy Butler, 15 points. Augustine and Gibson coming off the bench with 13. But <clears throat> Mike Dunleavy, those 35 big points were huge. Probably the difference in the game. They were huge. But the Wizards had chances. They, they, they had chances in, in this game. And then, you know, they, they end the game. They get that rebound after uh, the missed free throw. They get the rebound there. And they throw it. Trevor Ariza tries to throw it to John Wall. John Wall doesn't get the handle of the ball. The ball goes out of bounds. And ultimately, that was the end. That was the end. But Dunleavy was the difference. That was the difference last night. And But can you expect 35 points out of Mike Dunleavy game in and game out? No. No. I don't think so. And then you had Bradley Beal saying Mike Dunleavy would be shut down after halftime. What well, didn't happen. It didn't happen. Dunleavy still continued to play well. Still continued to play well. So, 35-point outburst by Mike Dunleavy. Obviously, it's what the doctor ordered. Obviously, he needed it. If he doesn't get it, the Bulls don't win. The Bulls don't win if he doesn't get it. But he was big. And now you hope Chicago, somebody else steps up. Maybe a DJ Augustine. Maybe he steps up. Maybe a Jimmy Butler has a big-time game four. Maybe. Maybe that happens. But I think, you know, moving forward, the Washington Wizards, I think, have the advantage in this series. I think they do. And I think they'll come back with a strong effort in game four. I wouldn't be shocked if Chicago Bulls win game four. But I think the Wizards win game four. And you're just starting to see that. You see in the series, I think the Wizards are a team that can score the basketball a little better than the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls are a very offensive, challenged basketball team. So I, I expect, I expect the Wizards to come out with a with a better effort in game number four. I expect that to happen. I mean, you look at Mike Dunleavy in 11 postseason games prior to Friday, the guy only averaged 8.5 points per game. 8.5 points per game. That's it. So that tells you a lot. I mean, his previous playoff high was 30. I mean, excuse me, was 17 points. That was his previous playoff high. So obviously, this guy, his points were unexpected, and they came out of nowhere. They came out of absolutely nowhere. Who's going to be next to step up for the Chicago Bulls? Who's going to be that next guy to step up? And it's funny. I mean, the Bulls have these guys who kind of step up out of nowhere. I remember last season, Nate Robinson stepped up and just did – Went off in the playoffs. 
Nate, Nate Robinson was big for those boys. And you remember in that series last year against the Brooklyn Nets, a series they were up 3-1, but you remember that game four. You remember that game four. That game four where uh, the Nets were up most of the game and in complete control near the end of that game, and then Nate Robinson went absolutely bonkers, went bonkers in that game and ultimately got the victory for the Chicago Bulls. That Dunleavy performance, I mean, different, but similar in the respect that a guy came out of nowhere to put up big-time numbers for you. So similar, but different in that respect. I want to go now to the interesting story um, that's out there now. Clippers owner Donald Sterling. Interesting, interesting comments from him. CNN, as is reporting this, TMZ has it as well. TMZ had it originally, but there's some interesting comments from him. He has a young girlfriend who's Mexican and African-American. Obviously, I'm looking at this this, this young woman right now, good-looking woman. Um, but the, it, this is a woman, obviously. I mean, anytime you're, you're a beautiful woman, I don't, I don't have her age, but anytime you're a woman, young woman like that, Donald Sterling's an old man. So, you know, he's an old man. But you have this woman who's Donald Sterling's girlfriend, and, and Donald Sterling was none too happy with his girlfriend, none too happy with his girlfriend. And so TMZ has got some audio from a conversation between Sterling and his girlfriend, got a conversation between them. TMZ has acquired that, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's not good. It's not good. And this is a guy in Donald Sterling who has a history of some things. He has a history of some things. I mean, this is a guy with the situation with the, the a lawsuit against him by the feds for unfair housing. The feds lawsuit against this guy. The feds came out. Largest housing discrimination lawsuit payout ever. Ever. So, and that was related to him trying to evict blacks and Hispanics from his properties. You have the situation with Elgin Baylor and his lawsuit. Ultimately, Sterling would win that lawsuit. Lawsuit was thrown out. But, you know, there's history with Donald Sterling. There's history. Absolute history with Donald Sterling. This guy over the years has done some interesting things. The unfair housing lawsuit, Elgin Baylor's lawsuit, celebrating Black History Month in the wrong month. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, Deadspin.com has some interesting things. of Some of the things that Donald Sterling has said over the years related to, to, to racism. I mean, this was according to Elgin Baylor and sworn testimony by Elgin Baylor. He envisioned, quote, talking about Donald Sterling, Sterling envisioned 
a southern plantation type structure for the Clippers, one in which he allegedly put it to Baylor. Poor black boys from the South played for a white head coach. I mean, this guy has a history of these things, and as it as it says in the phone conversation, as it says in the phone conversations, as he's talking to his girlfriend, quote, you can sleep with black people, you can bring them in, you can do whatever you want. The little I ask is you not to promote it on that. Talking about her promoting things on Instagram. And not to bring them to my games talking about black people. So I'm just, I'm going to just read, read to the lines. I'm just going to read each of these quotes and, 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 and read between the lines of these quotes. Quote, you can sleep with black people. So what's that saying? That I guess she's giving, Sterling's giving her a pass. To, to go out and, and, and sleep with black guys? Even though that's his girlfriend? Is he giving her the pass to sleep with black guys? You can sleep with him. You can do whatever you want with him. Just don't put it in public. He went on to say, quote, I'm just saying, in your lousing effing Instagrams, you don't have to have yourself with walking with black people. Wow. This is a man who's the owner of a team. What, 10 of his 12 players are black. Their coach is black. You're an owner in a sport that's 70-plus percent black. I mean, come on. You need to own a hockey team, I guess, Donald Sterling. He went on to say, don't put him, meaning Magic, on an Instagram for the world to have to see so they can call me. And don't bring him to my games. This is weird. And according to Los Angeles Daily Sports, Daily News Sports, the Clippers players held a meeting last night to discuss these comments. I mean, how, as a Clippers player, do you look this man straight in the face? How, how, how can you look this man in the face after this, after these comments? How do you look this man in the face? I know he cuts the check every week. I get that. I know he's cutting big-time checks for a lot of guys. I get that. I get that. But at the end of the day, does this guy view you almost as a million-dollar slave? Does, Does he view you in that way? I'm just asking the question. I'm not saying he does, but I'm just asking the question. You're going to have to come down hard, I think, if you're Adam Silver. You're going to have to find a way, I think, if you're Adam Silver, you're going to have to find a way to, to possibly get this team sold. The man has a history of these things, has a history of these things, Unfair housing, 
lawsuit, largest payout in the history, the history, in the history of the world, of the country, the largest payout in terms of housing discrimination in this country's history, in this country meaning the United States. I don't know if you're CP3, if you're Blake Griffin, if you're Jamal Crawford, if you're Doc Rivers, I don't know how you how do you handle this. I don't know how you can handle this. If you're the league, I know you how you can handle this. Big time fine. And you got to do something in terms of ownership. May not be easy to do. But I mean, this is crazy. At this point, Donald Sterling has not responded to these allegations. He has not responded to these allegations at this point in time. But we all know, if you're this girl, I don't know how you can have respect for yourself and show yourself in public with a guy who's had a history of racism. I don't know how you show yourself in public with this guy who has a history of racism. The history is out there. The history is out there. It's out there. I don't know how you... I mean, I guess personally, I guess personally, if 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 I'm a fan or if, if I'm a Clipper player and, and, and he's paying me big-time money, I guess at the end of the day, money, as long as he's cutting my check, it really... I guess it really doesn't matter. In reality, you, you do work for him, but in reality, you're 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 playing for each other. You're playing for your coaches. You're not necessarily playing for your owner. But it's got things you, you can't. I, I I don't see how this thing cannot be. I I don't know how these players can respond to Donald Sterling at this point. I I don't know how these players can interact with Donald Sterling at this point. He's kind of shown his hand. He's really showed his hand here. His hand has been showed. He showed you the type of guy he really is. He showed you. There's no hiding at this point. Largest housing discrimination lawsuit payout ever. Ever. The Elgin Baylor lawsuit, though he won it. Now this. I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it as a player. And you you might have people who say, you know what, I don't know how you become a fan I don't know how you're a fan of this team anymore. And I would say I kind of disagree with that because at the end of the day, no matter how my owners, no matter, I'm a lifelong Sixers fan. If the Sixers owner came out and said he doesn't like black people, I still watch the Sixers. I still watch it. It wouldn't matter. But we'll see how the story plays out. It should be interesting. Moving forward, when we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. Robert Thomas of Arkansas will be joining us. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. 
Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything when the playoffs come. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. The NFL draft about two weeks away. Two weeks away. Can you believe it? I mean, it's been pushed back to May this season, but it's it's a long time coming. You hear all the the the, the Mel Kuypers and everybody out there, all the draft nicks having opinions about what may happen, what could happen, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad so on and so forth. At this point, I think it's time. I'm ready for the draft to come. But we're going to bring in a guy preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. Let's bring him in now, defensive tackle, former defensive tackle from Arkansas, Robert Thomas. Robert, how are you? Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm doing today. Thanks for joining us. No problem. No problem at all. Robert, I want to start with the Pro Day, Arkansas Pro Day back in March. At that point, you had all 32 teams there to watch you. You didn't run on that day, but there were 32 teams there. Ryan Mallett was there also, but there were 32 teams there to see you. You did improve on your bench press. How do you think that went for you as a whole? And Robert, we lost Robert. We're going to try to get him back. Must be a bad cell phone connection. Yeah, very quick. Yes, you Robert, too. Got you? Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm back. Okay, okay, Robert, we got you back. I wanted to ask. I know you had your own private pro day. We'll get to that. But initially, you went to the Arkansas pro day back in March. All 32 teams were there on that particular day. You didn't run on that day, but you did do the branch press. Do you think you impressed on that day? Yes, sir. I feel like I did good. I feel like I made a good impact on everyone. Like with my strength aspects, I feel like I did good with that. Okay, okay. And ultimately, because of your leg, you didn't run on that day, but you had your own private workout in April. Talk about that. Yes, did, did that go well? What kind of feedback did you get? Yes, sir. I've been getting a lot of great feedback, back. I've been getting a lot of workouts. I've been talking to a lot of different defensive line instruments and things like that. So, I mean, I feel good about everything. Like, the jab is going well for everything going well. But what, what, kind of, what kind of stuff are you hearing? What are they saying that you what are they saying you need to work on? What, do you, what are they saying you need to improve on? Uh, mostly just, like, it's just like my leg. Everyone wants to know, like, you know what I'm saying, like, how am I doing on my leg? How's my leg doing? Things okay. like that. Uh, mostly, that's mostly it, though. I mean, other than that, I mean, like, I've been getting positive feedback, great feedback. How is the leg? I'm great. I'm 100. I'm back running, back moving around. So I feel great. 
Okay, okay. And you were invited to the NFL Combine. Obviously, you were limited because of the leg. How difficult was that for you? Uh, it was really, I mean, it just hurts to have to be there and just watch everyone, like, and not be able to do what I know I can do. So it just kind of hurt me, right. like, just watching. So, I mean, it, was, it had to just kill you inside, like, man, I should be out there. I could be out there doing what I can do, showing these people yeah. what I can do. Yes, sir, most definitely, now, most definitely. Talk about the experience of the combine. Although your combine was a little limited, there's a lot of things going on. You're getting poked, you're getting prodded, you're getting asked a whole bunch of different questions. Talk about the experience as a whole. Uh, it was, I mean, it was a tremendous experience just just being there, like just being, you know, saying honored to be there. Uh, it was, I, I talked to many teams, so it was, it was great. It was a great experience. We're talking to former Arkansas defensive tackle. Robert Thomas, and Robert, before the injury, man, you were having a pretty good season, six tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. That's from an interior lineman in seven games. When you went down, yes, what was going through your head? Tell us. Pretty, pretty much just, man, I, I, I can't believe it happened. Like, uh, I mean, it was my first injury, so, I mean, I really didn't know how to take it. So, I'm, right. I just kind of took it day by day. But, I mean, now, you know what I'm saying, like, I feel like it helped me. Help me know that, like, like I mean, even to an injury, I'll be okay. Right, and and after the injury, your teammates, your coaches, I mean, they showed a lot of love for you because each and every week, someone different got to wear the number ninety-eight. How'd that make you feel? Man, it made me. I, I mean, really, it was a blessing just just to know that, like, my coaches, staff, and my teammates like felt that way about me, and it was a, a great feeling to have. We're talking to former Arkansas defensive tackle Robert Thomas. And, and, Robert, again, before the injury, before the injury, you were having a big-time injury. You were on, a, on the verge of, of having a monster season. What, what kind of numbers do you think you would have put up if you would have stayed healthy? Man, uh, that's a tough question. I, I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, I mean, the way I was playing, I feel like the sky was the limit for me. I feel like I would have did some great numbers this year, but, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, you know what I'm saying, the injury knocked me back, so, I mean, all in all, I mean, it's all a plan for guys, so I'm just going with it. Right. Now, where, what are you hearing in terms of where you may go? Uh, rounds, or like would you have to take the free agency route? Oh, oh rounds, no, no, so I've been hearing uh, anywhere between third through sixth, so I'm just kind of waiting on a call between them times. Okay, okay. And, and how are you going to watch the draft? Where are you going to watch the draft? I'm going to watch it at home. I'm going to go back home to Muskogee and just sit with, like, my family and, and just wait on the call. Okay. You're an Oklahoma boy, so I'm assuming you were a Cowboys fan growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the okay. Cowboys. Okay. So what would it mean, let's just say hypothetically, if the Cowboys gave you a call, what would that mean to you? I know ultimately you want to play in this league on any team, but what would that mean if the Cowboys gave you a call? I mean, it, it, it'll be a great, you know what I'm saying, great, great thing for me because, I mean, my family can come. Like, like it's a lot closer. So, I mean, more of my family can come. I mean, that would be a blessing for me. Now, Robert, you are from Oklahoma. You have OKC out there down two games to one to the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA playoffs. Uh, you, you okay? You think things are going to work man, out for you? Man, that question got me, man. I, I feel like we're going to be okay as a team. Uh, I mean, we – I mean, they just got our number right now. I think Oklahoma going to pull it through, though. Most definitely. Okay, so when it's all said and done, Kevin Durant's going to be holding up that uh, championship trophy. 
Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely got to bring that back to the city. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get out to any of those games at all? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I go to uh, pretty much uh, – I've been to maybe four home games this season just because, like, I mean, like it was hard for me. But, yeah, yeah, most definitely. I go about as many times I can. Okay. okay. Hypothetically speaking, Robert, I'm a GM, I'm a coach. Tell me, why should I draft Robert Thomas? I feel like, I mean, I tell him, like I tell everyone, uh, I mean, I'm going to work. I'm going to come in every day and I'm going to work. I'm a workhorse. I mean, that's all I know. I'm, I'm going to outwork everybody. I mean, I mean, that's just my mindset. It's work. Right. Right. So you believe when it's all said and done, on the next level, you will be successful in this league? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay. Okay. And i got to take your word for it. You sound very confident in saying that. Robert, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect? with Robert Thomas on Twitter. Follow me at Razorback98. Okay. Okay, fans, support this man as he journeys to the NFL. The NFL draft about two weeks away, less than two weeks away. And, and this guy, he expects his name to be called. Robert Thomas, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Uh, I appreciate it. Take care, All sir. Right. Uh, you too. Right. Robert Thomas defensive tackle, Arkansas, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. I mean, he's, he's, he's excited. He really is excited uh, about what may happen on the next level for him, and he believes he can do it. And I want to go back to the Donald Sterling story for a moment. Magic Johnson now tweeted out, Cookie, his wife and I will never go to a Clippers game as long as Donald Sterling is the owner. Wow. Magic went on to tweet, L.A. Clippers owner Donald Sterling's comments about African Americans are a black eye for the NBA. Magic went on to tweet, I feel sorry for my friends, Coach Doc Rivers and Chris Paul, that they have to work for a man that feels that way about African Americans. It's crazy. It, it, it's crazy. Wow. Snoop Dogg had a message on Instagram. Not so kind words about Donald Sterling. I mean, so a lot of people are starting to be are starting to come out and really, really give Donald Sterling the business at this point. A lot of people. And rightfully so. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, how are, 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 in this day and age, it's it's 2014, and, you know, the technology is is endless. Um, You don't know who's taping your phone conversations. You, with with the cell phone technologies that's out there, the text messages, you don't know what's happening to your text messages. You don't know. Twitter messages, Facebook messages, you don't know. So you really have to be careful with camera phones. You got to be careful where you're at, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're acting. I mean, you look at Riley Cooper from the Philadelphia Eagles last season, out at a Kenny Chesney concert, using the N-word. I'll beat every N-word up in this here, in here. 
You know, why, why, I mean, so in this day and age, you got to be careful. And the reality is Riley Cooper only apologized when he got caught. Donald Sterling at this point is going to apologize. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when. You wonder how this story got to TMZ. You wonder how they got this, the phone call recordings. You wonder how they got the recordings. But at this point, Donald Sterling, not a good look. Not a good look. Not a good look right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out. How are the players going to deal with this? How is Doc Rivers going to deal with this? How is the fan base going to deal with this? You wonder. How the fan base is going to deal with this? You wonder. Donald Sterling, 75-year-old man. 75-year-old man with a beautiful black woman. I know she's black and Mexican. And she's still with him, but you wonder now, she's probably going to stay with him because, let's be honest, I said before, a woman that age, that type of beauty, and Donald Sterling, an old man, what is it? It can't be anything other than money. Maybe she likes his personality. I don't know. (laughs) But this story, this story is, is, is an interesting story. It's not surprising, considering the history of Donald Sterling. Not surprising at all. But reality is, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, they're still going to take the court for the uh, L.A. Clippers. And they're still going to play to win a championship because they're going to play for their teammates. They're playing for their teammates. They're not playing for Donald Sterling. They're playing for their teammates. So I don't think that's going to change anything. Obviously, the relationship has to change, will change between those two, Sterling and, and, and Chris Paul. and Di- It has to. It has to, you would think. Just considering the history of Donald Sterling. It would have to. His history isn't good. His history isn't good at all. So, this should be interesting. Clipper Darrell, one of the greatest Clipper fans out there, African-American. You wonder how he's feeling at this point. I mean, a Clipper nation as a whole, you're wondering now how they're feeling. Their thoughts on this crazy absolutely crazy the situation now with Donald uh, Sterling and his comments crazy not surprising crazy not surprising so we'll see how the story plays out but this, this story wow this is crazy absolutely crazy 2014, and 
I guess you're really. I mean, I'm not. I guess I'm really not surprised when, when there's racism in 2014. This is America. This is reality. This is life. This is absolute life. So we'll see how this thing plays out. I want to go back to the NBA for a moment now. Um, Al Jefferson says he'll be ready to play Game Three for the Bobcats against the Miami Heat, and. He says, after shoot-around, after Saturday morning shoot-around, today's shoot-around, that his left foot still feels about the same. I think, and, you know, Bobcats coach Steve F. Clifford has said that team doctors have said that Jefferson can't injure the foot any worse. I say this. If I'm Michael Jordan, Steve Clifford, and the Bobcat organization, I don't think I'm still sending Al Jefferson out there. I don't think there's any benefit in sending Al Jefferson out there. There's no benefit in that. What is the benefit of continuing to play Al Jefferson at this point in time? You're down too well. You really don't have much of a shot in this series. You really, There's really no benefit and continuing to play out Jefferson. I know what the doctors are saying. That doesn't matter. That that I know what the doctors are saying. The doctors are saying even with the foot as it is, he can't hurt it any worse. I know what the doctors are saying. But at the same time, I don't see how he, I mean, he, he's talking about he hurt pops. At one point, talking about he felt some tear, felt felt a tearing at one point. What would be in his? It, it, it's not really in his best interest to continue to play on this foot. It's really not in his best interest. I don't think it's in the best interest of the franchise. The Bobcats have played the Heat tough in this series, and they might have stolen game one or two if Al Jefferson was at 100%, but he's not, and he won't be. So at this point in time, because Al Jefferson is not at 100%, what would be the benefit of continuing to throw him out there? What's the benefit? Because you're the Charlotte Bobcats at this point. You really don't have any championship aspirations. You really don't. You are down 2-0, your best player is not the same player. He's still putting up a double-double, but he's not the same player. He doesn't have the same impact on the game. So with that being said, what is your benefit? What's the benefit of continuing to put him out there? What is the benefit? There is none. There, there is no benefit to continuing to put him out there. There's no benefit. So, as far as I'm concerned, Michael Jordan, Steve Clifford, need to say, you know what, Big Al? Great season, my man. Put up big-time numbers. We wouldn't be in this position without you. You, you, you deserve, you, you had the type of season where you could get an MVP, MVP vote or two. But at the end of the day, 
I mean, 21 and 10 is great. You had a great season, but it's time to sit down. It's, it's time to sit down. It's time for us to think about next season when it comes to you. You are not a benefit to us. You can't help us at this point in time. You can't. You physically cannot help us at this point in time. So the reality is, is Al Jefferson, Big Al, you need to sit down. You need to sit down and you need to think about next season and beyond. That's what you need to think about if you're the Clippers. That's what you need to think about. And and I feel like Michael Jordan, Steve Clifford, and the Clippers organization are making a mistake by continuing to throw Al Jefferson out there. There's no benefit to anyone to have an Al Jefferson struggling and laboring up and down the court. There's no benefit in that at all. Even though 18 and 10 in game one and 18 and 13 in game two is good, but at what cost? He can't really finish around the basket. He can't. He's laboring up and down the court. He's struggling on pick and rolls. What is the benefit of putting Al Jefferson out there? <clears throat> there isn't. There's no benefit whatsoever. No benefit. So if I'm the Bobcats, I don't put him out there. But he's obviously ready for game three. He says he's going to play in game three, and we'll see what happens in game three. I can see the Bobcats stealing one of these games. I can see it happening because they're playing, they're playing very hard. They're playing very hard. And they've been very competitive in this series. And they might have won possibly a game or two if Big Al was healthy. But he's not. So I think it's in the best interest. Clifford, Michael Jordan, Bobcat organization, sit Al down. Second hour, go for it. Starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. Okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Let's take a call, or we're going to bring in Mike from Pittsburgh. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. I actually wanted to talk about um, Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons, uh, the Jordan rules. Um, I go back to the 80s, a uh, lifelong Boston Celtics fan, but I've really never seen a team 
slow down Michael Jordan like the Pistons did. Um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating hearing Isaiah talking about how after a game one night, you know, he stood outside of Chicago for four hours and was trying to come up with a, a way to stop Jordan, and he did. He made a couple phone calls, and they kind of implemented his ideas from the frustration um, that he had on stopping Jordan. So I kind of like your thoughts. I know they probably couldn't do that nowadays because of the hand-checking. Right. And, you know, you go into the lane and, and, you, and you put Jordan on his butt like they did back then, you're going to get right. a flagrant two and not even sure. you know, be out of the game. I mean, you look at that era. I mean, at the time, you, you watched the documentary just like I did. You look at that documentary, and one of the things is Michael Jordan ultimately became mentally strong, physically strong, in order to handle what the bad boy Pistons were throwing at him. But the key was Scottie Pippen. When Scottie Pippen got to the level the, Bull, the, the level that the Bulls needed him to get to, ultimately the Bulls were able to overcome the Detroit Pistons. And it wasn't necessarily Jordan. It was Pippen who stepped up and ultimately put them over the top. See, you know, you know what I think is personally, I think the Pistons are a better team when we talk about all time than Chicago because you got to remember when, when Pippen and the Bulls finally overcame Detroit, the Pistons were aging. Um, right. Now, if you, if, if you go three years before then when, you know, they just finally getting over the hump against the Celtics, um, I don't care if Pippen was the Pippen that we knew. I still think that Pistons team was, was better. I just think at the end they started getting older with Lambeer, you know, losing uh, Rick Mahorn. Um, right. So, you know, you can't really tell me that the Bulls are better. I think the Bulls benefited on the rest of the league um, getting worse. You know, you didn't have the Celtics, you didn't have the Lakers like they were in the past. I think the Bulls were just kind of fortunate, you know, that they, they were in an era to win those six championships when there weren't many, you know, great teams. Uh, you know, I don't consider that Knicks team a great team. Um, well, that's just my thoughts. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, six titles and six titles. And the thing about the Chicago Bulls, here's the thing. Michael Jordan left for a year. So he left for two years, excuse me. So the Bulls, while they won six titles, three back to, uh, three, two three-peats, they easily, easily could have had eight. They easily could have had eight championships. And no matter, as far as I'm concerned, no matter the competition, six championships and six championships. You know, the one thing I regret from that era is the two championships they didn't win, the Houston Rockets won those two championships, yeah. and I really wished those two teams would have matched up at least once in the finals because I think a lot of people um, kind of underestimate Houston, how good they were because they say Jordan was out of the league. Um, you know, they beat the Knicks. They beat a young Orlando team. So that's the one regret. I really wish Houston I agree. would have played Chicago because basically those are the two teams in, in the ninety in the nineties, you know, as far as um, you know, the best teams in the league. I agree. I mean, I was I was I always wanted that matchup to happen, and unfortunately, we never could get it. But I mean, during those two years where Jordan was going, Akeem Olajuwon was Jordan-like in how he carried those Rockets teams to back-to-back titles. I mean, it was, it was a great run for the Houston Rockets in those two seasons, and it was a byproduct of the greatness of Akeem Olajuwon. And as you said, you almost wished that those two teams 
at some point in history could have met each other, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. Thanks for the call. Yeah, take care. And, you know, a lot of great points. A lot, a lot. He brought up a lot of great points from that. And, and, and I, I, I look at it, and, you know, I look at those the, the bad boy Pistons and the, uh, the, the Celtics and the Bulls during those times. And, you know, the, the Celtics, the, the Pistons need to overcome the Celtics in order to get to where they needed to get. And ultimately the Bulls need to overcome the Pistons to get to where they needed to get. So these, these teams, these, they needed to overcome something. They needed to get over that hump. Ultimately the Pistons would get over that hump. And ultimately, the Bulls would get over that hump, and you know teams get old. That's just the that's just life. Teams get old. You can't be young forever, and ultimately, your best players get old. Now, when Michael Jordan won that title in 1998 uh, against the Utah Jazz, I, that might have been it. That might have been it in terms of the Chicago Bulls. You wonder they never got a chance to defend that title. You wonder if at that point they would have been overcome by the Knicks or the Pacers. You wonder. You wonder. But we're going to go back to talking about the NBA NFL draft, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, Wisconsin's Brendan Kelly. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can kept married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Roxy. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. And we're back. NFL draft two weeks away. Two weeks away. We got a guy now preparing for the upcoming NFL draft two weeks away. Let's bring him in now. Former defensive end, former outside linebacker for the Wisconsin Badgers, Brendan Kelly. Brendan, how are you? Good, good. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for joining us. Now, Brendan, you suffered a hamstring pull before your pro day. Where are you at with that injury? Yeah, yep. You got it exactly right. About five days prior to that, uh, that pro day, uh, March fifth, you know, pulled it. Um, it was actually our last day, you know, running sprints before uh, pro day. Kind of pulled it on the last rep. Um, it was tough, you know. You had to swallow that that pride and just, uh, you know, stay resilient. And uh, been doing that. Been working with a lot of. Uh, you know, physical therapists and uh, different strength coaches getting this thing right. You know, feeling real good right now. Again, we took it real slow because you don't want to have any other, uh, 
right. know, mishaps before the draft. So it's something, you know, you got to pace yourself. You don't want to rush to get back too soon and repull that thing. But, uh, you know, feeling good now, and I'm really looking forward to uh, this upcoming upcoming couple weeks. What did you do during that time to keep your hopes up, to keep everything going, to, 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 to get past having this injury right before the pro day, right before you could show scouts, GMs, NFLs exactly what you can do? Yeah, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, obviously all, tests always come with two sides, you know. It's, it's kind of what you take away from it. You know, I've kind of realized that the football, the game of football is a, a journey, and uh, it's not always, uh, you know, you make or break in one exact day. So I realized i got to kind of approach it from a professional standpoint. You know, mistakes happen. You know, sometimes you got bad luck, sometimes you got good luck. And uh, that was just a day I didn't have luck on my side. So, you know, I, I kept my nose to, you know, the grindstone, kept working hard. And, uh, you know, I believe in the long run it's all going to work out like it's planned. Now let's talk about your season. New defensive scheme for you, so that meant less time for you rushing the passer. But the numbers were decent, four and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, and eight starts. Talk about your season as a whole. Yeah, yeah, so that was a great challenge. You know, coming into your senior year, um, had been playing defensive end, and then, you know, taking your hand out of the dirt and standing up. Um, and, yeah, yeah, you got it right. You know, wearing number 97, uh, being in coverage, you know, sometimes some quarterbacks will look at you and try to test you a little bit. So uh, definitely had my fair share of that. But, you know, the the thing that I really took away from it is as the season went on, I got a lot more comfortable playing both roles as, you know, a dropping linebacker and, uh, you know, rushing the passer. Uh, you know, as the season went on as well, you know, we started rushing me a little more because uh, it's just that's the way things worked out. Uh, but, again, you know, I, I'm always up for, you know, any any different type of scheme, any opportunity to make plays and playing that uh, boundary backer in a 3-4 scheme is definitely something that uh, as the season went on, I got a lot more comfortable playing. And you said as the season wore off, you got more worn on, wore on, you got more comfortable. At what part of the season, the middle of the season, close to the end, at what part of the season did you say, you know what, I feel comfortable in this role as a 3-4 linebacker? Yeah, you know, I'd probably say the uh, – after Northwestern or Illinois, you know, I, I, I stopped. I just stopped thinking, you know, because at first when you're a defensive end, you always have your stand, your hand in the dirt. Um, you know, having pass responsibility is a little different. Um, it's a lot different than just your regular zone blitz uh, as a defensive end. So, you know, having having those, those responsibilities, um, kind of just you know swallowing them and just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to just go out there and play as fast as I can and stop. Stop thinking and stop worrying about what I have to do, and that's when I, you know that's when play started to come to me. That's when I started to really feel like I was making an impact on the team. We're talking to former Wisconsin defensive end linebacker Brendan Kelly, and and Brendan, looking at it now with you as you prepare for this draft, do you have a preference? I know you said you really doesn't matter, but is there like okay, would you prefer to be four three? Would you prefer to be three four? Yeah, you know I've thought about that a lot lately. Um, and, you know, there's no preference um, from my standpoint. I'm sure teams have preferences as far as, you know, this team would like me to, you know, see my hand in the dirt, and this team would probably like me to play more of a B-backer. Um, but, you know, I think in the NFL the roles are very blurred in the fact that um, if you're that boundary backer, you know, in the NFL in a 3-4 scheme, you know, you're just a glorified stand-up defensive end um, a, a lot of the time. And not saying right. that they don't have, you know, extended roles and whatnot, but, um, it's definitely something that if, if you can play the position, um, and I think being able to play the position standing up my senior year um, gives me a lot of uh, you know freedom to say, hey, I, I can play both these positions. Um, this ha- this kid has a little more you know value to him. So I think from that aspect, it, it's really rewarding.
Now, at this point, what are scouts telling you that you need to do in order to be better or to, to make it on the next level? What are scouts saying you need to do? Yeah, you know, I think I think number one thing I've battled with a number of injuries throughout my career, um, and that that's okay. been kind of one knock. I mean, he's a, you know, injury-prone guy. You know, luckily none of those injuries has kept me out, you know, a, a long time. Um, the last, you know, I think the last three years, you know, had a, might have had a couple of muscle pulls, stuff like that. You missed a game or two for, but nothing that's, you know, season-ending, you know, or even career-ending mm-hmm. or something like that. So been really fortunate in that aspect of, you know, trying to take that off the film. And, uh, you know, I think, again, you know, putting on putting on the weight that they want me to see. You know, if I'm going to play with my hand in the dirt, I've got to be a 270-plus guy. You know, I'm, I'm six foot six, um, and I'm right. all of it. So, so you know, being uh, six foot six and 260, uh, you know, that's still light, you know what I mean? Because that's a, that's a lean D end right mm-hmm. there. You want to be 270, 275, and, you know, no matter if I'm going to play that, that backer position, we're going to have to put that weight on it. And I've definitely been focusing on that. Um, and, def- and I'll tell you this, like, not having school every single day has allowed uh, me to do so. So, <laughs> I mean, I, that was actually my next question. Uh, your list is 6'6", 257 pounds. Ultimately, as you said, you would like to possibly get to 270, 275. Where are you at with that? Yeah, so 278 or 268 um, as of this morning, uh, actually, set on the scale. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, I'd like to like to have that, you know, upwards of 270, you know, when I report to the team. Because, you know, if they want me to lose weight, I'm the type of kid that I could lose weight. I might be able to lose 10 pounds in 10 hours. You know what I mean? I'm that guy. If, I don't, if I'm not constantly eating, I'm just shedding pounds. So, again, you know, it's uh, a lot of people are jealous of the diet that I'm on. You know, I'm consuming upwards of uh, like 6,500 calories a day. And, uh, okay. you know, people look at you like, I wish I could eat all day and not gain weight. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the the pocketbook uh, takes a, a little dent from it. And uh, sometimes you get sick of eating so much. But, hey, that's if that's what i got to do to play in the NFL, that's what I'm going to do. Now, you said 268 pounds as of today. What are you doing to not only put the weight on, but at the same time keep your speed? Yeah. Yeah, so one of the great things is where I trained at uh, for the combine is where I'm still training. Um, it's uh, down here in, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, suburb of Milwaukee at Next Level Performance. Uh, we got a, a world-renowned strength coach, Brad Arnett, um, and a couple speed coaches as well. And, you know, we train with, you know, a number of different NFL guys, um, a lot of different college guys too. We, we get in there. And, uh, you know, I just say that the biggest thing about keeping your speed up is having people to push you, you know. Um, you know, if you're not racing people and if you're not even trying to beat the next guy, you know, that's one of the things I, I see where, where guys really lose speed. But when you're always pushing against somebody else, you know, I think you're definitely going to keep your speed up. Obviously, the little hamstring pull, uh, I mean, that's going to happen. That, that's just part of the, the deal. But, you know, gotten back from that and, uh, you know, working back to get that get that uh, that feeling of being 100%. So, Yeah. We're talking to former Wisconsin DN outside linebacker Brendan Kelly. And, Brendan, you are a Minnesota boy. Were you a Vikings fan growing up? You know, I was actually a Bears fan. I was, I was pretty hated wow. in Minnesota. Okay. okay. How'd that happen? Well, my dad's from uh, Chicago, so, you know, if All I right. wanted to eat dinner, I had to wear the Bears shirt. <laughs> Makes sense. Got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> now, looking at everything now, is, is, is there a player that you compare yourself to or, or compared yourself, or you, is there a player you tried to emulate on the next level? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a couple of guys. You know, I think former player that you know I really looked up to um, was Patrick Kearney. You know, he was a guy with the Falcons for okay. a little bit and then played with Seattle. I, I was thinking Patrick um, Kearney with you. What'd you say? I was thinking Patrick Kearney with you, not to cut you off, but I was thinking Patrick oh, Kearney when I when I when I saw you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely a guy that I tried to emulate. Um, watched a lot of film of him, um, and I think I think throughout the game, you know. You, you pick players uh, when you're watching film that you want to emulate. So, you know, you say, okay, I want to work on my hands or whose hands are the best in the league. And, you, you know, you point to Tom Holly with Kansas City mm-hmm. and you say, hands down, this guy can, you know, this guy can spin you, he can flip you, he can do whatever he wants just with, you know, a flip of his wrist. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of emulate that, you know what I mean, try to say, okay, what's he doing, take away, you know, parts of his game. You know, if you look for, you know, the speed rushers, you look at, okay, Vaughn Miller, you know, how's he getting around this edge like that? You know, what's okay. his get-off cues? You know, stuff like that. So I wouldn't say, you know, I focus on one player, but, um, you know, a, a plethora of players have been, you know, people I've looked up to. So what's the word now? What are you hearing in terms of where you may go as a situation Late in the draft, the situation where you have to take the free agency route. What are you hearing? Yeah, so I think I think my mark has always kind of been that a uh, late round of free agent, um, and you know that's that's okay with me. You know, the number one thing that I want to do is get an opportunity, um, and you know, no okay. matter what that opportunity is, I'm always going to carry a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, thinking that I sh- I should have been you know picked higher, no matter what. You know what I mean? So I'm that type of guy where uh, it doesn't to me, you know. People can say a lot of stuff, and people can tell you where you're going to go or, you know, where you should go. Um, but at the end of the day, as long as I get that opportunity, you know, I'm going to give that, that opportunity 100% um, of my focus, attention, and, uh, you know, obviously as a football player, a teammate. And I think I think that's what you need to do. Bottom line, why should any team give Brendan Kelly an opportunity in the NFL? I'd say because I'm going to prove a lot of, a lot of people wrong. You know, I think there's people out there that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, mark me as injury prone these scouts and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, my desire to play football and my passion for the game is, is a lot deeper than uh, I believe a lot of other players. You know, I, I sleep, you know, I dream about football. You know, I'm, I'm waking up, I'm thinking about football. And, uh, you know, I'm in love with the game. And, that, and that's the one thing that I, I think – my love for the game is going to continue to drive me no matter what happens, no matter what obstacle comes to overcome it. Now, Brendan, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Yep, my uh, Twitter handle is Brendan F. Kelly. What's the F stand for? Francis. Good Irish okay. name. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Brendan. We wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward, man, as you prepare for this draft. Hope to have you on again. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you. Take care. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Brendan Kelly, defensive end, linebacker, Wisconsin, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And he said Patrick Kearney, and I was thinking the same thing because of his height. I was thinking Patrick Kearney when I saw him. So it's funny. That he said that. I want to go back to this Donald Sterling story for a moment now. Um, Chris Broussard has some interesting tweets and in talking about Jesse Jackson and what Jesse Jackson's response was to, to, to this whole situation. Jesse Jackson told Chris Broussard that Sterling, Donald Sterling, has essentially said to the relatives of Chris Paul, Doc Rivers, and others are not welcome at his games. 
you wonder. You wonder. I mean, I, I, I it, it is almost like, you know, a guy in, in, in Donald Sterling, essentially, it, it's like he is the slave master, and these guys are his million-dollar slaves. I mean, just the, the attitude and just the way he's talking, and, you know, he doesn't want African-Americans at his game. I mean, it, it, that speaks of a guy who does not want African-Americans at his games. I, I, I don't really see how you can say it any other way. I don't see how you can see it any other way. The history tells you that. It tells you that. So do you do do African Americans boycott LA Clippers games? Do they boycott LA Clippers games? I don't think they necessarily would be wrong. I really don't. I don't think they would be wrong if they boycott Clippers games. I I mean I I wouldn't be mad at them. This is a guy who does not want you at his games. Doesn't want his woman to be seen with African Americans at his games. He's the owner. His team. He don't want you, if you're black or African American, at his games. Don't want you there. He said it. He said it. Don't bring that to my games. What does the NBA do at this point in time? They have a decision to make. The NBA has a decision to make. How do you handle this situation? The NBA is investigating this, as they should. They need to move swift. They need to move quickly. And you wonder how swiftly and how quickly they will move on this. But they need to move fast in this particular situation. And you wonder how fast they will move. This is crazy. Baron Davis tweeted out, that's the way it is. He is honest about what he believes in. Been going on for a long time. Hats off to the team for playing above it all. I mean, this is still a married man. They're not actively together, but Donald Sterling still is a married man. And and it's just judging by that phone conversation, it seems like he's okay with his woman now. And I don't even know how to say her last name. And I don't want to butcher her name, Stevavino. I mean, there is a lawsuit out against this woman by Donald Sterling's wife. So, I mean, this is going to be something, how this whole thing plays out. The NBA has a decision to make. The Clipper fan base has a decision to make. Clipper players have a decision to make, but I think that decision is quite easily easily made. You play for 
your teammates. You play for the ultimate prize, and that is a championship. Why do you make those type of comments? How can you, I mean, how can you own an NBA franchise? And, and, and I mean, it's possible. A lot of his money is probably old money. It's possible. But how do you verbalize that? How do you verbalize that? And what do you do if you're the NBA? Because right now you have a problem. One of your owners with a history of racism basically has come out and has shown himself to be a racist. It is, it, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. But the interesting thing is, is the response of the players and, and how they're going to respond to this. And, and what are they going to do now moving forward? What are they going to do? How are they going to deal with this situation? How are they going to deal with this situation? That is going to be the interesting part of this. That is going to be the interesting part. What what comments do they make publicly? What what do they say to the media? Do you say, well, you know, uh, I, I don't play for Donald Sterling. I play for my team. I play for my teammates. I play for my coaches. I don't play for Donald Sterling. Is that what you say? Do you say I come out in support of Donald Sterling? He's been nothing but good to me. What do you say? History tells you that this man is a racist. Actions have told you that this man is a racist. How do you handle this moving forward? What do you do if you're a player, if you're a member of the Los Angeles Clippers? How do you handle this moving forward? That's a great question. The league, I think it's going to come down hard. The extent of how hard they come down should be interesting. And if you're going to be finding Mark Cuban for every comment that he makes, this, this, this the fine for this one has to be astronomical. Has to be. This guy, Donald Sterling, has basically had a history of racism and now has made these racist comments for the world, the world to see and hear. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's, it's stunning. It's not stunning. It's not surprising considering the source. But it, it, it's, it, I guess it's stunning from the, the – and I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But it, it, it's you can't make those kind of comments and expect not to be any type of repercussions or consequences. You can't. You just can't. And so 
I'm interested to see how this league, how the league handles this. I'm, how hard would the league come down on, on Donald Sterling for this one? I think it has to be quick. I think it has to be swift. I think it has to be fast, and I think it has to be hard. Because this guy is telling a, a, a group of, of, of people that support your product, which is the NBA, the owner of one of your franchises and the NBA is telling, is telling, telling African Americans in a league that is comprised of 70 to 80 percent of African Americans, telling that fan base, the African American fan base, to not to come to his games, to stay at home, basically. That is telling. That. It's, it's, it's something that the league has to move quick and fast on. I want to go quickly now, and we're staying with the NBA. I, I want to go to the to the Hawks and Pacers. Um, that series, Hawks up two games to one. The Pacers continue to play bad basketball. The Pacers continue to be awful. Roy Hibbert continues to be awful. This was a Roy Hibbert a year ago. In the playoffs, averaged 17 points and nine rebounds. 9.9 rebounds, darn near a double-double last season. That's the Roy Hibbert that we saw uh, last season in these playoffs, and that was one of the reasons that the Pacers got to the Eastern Conference Finals and one of the reasons that the Pacers took the Miami Heat to seven games. It was because of the play of Roy Hibbert. Well, Roy Hibbert has struggled near the end of this season. Roy Hibbert is struggling in these playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks, but the bottom line is this. The Atlanta Hawks, pose an interesting matchup to the Indiana Pacers. The Atlanta Hawks have basically said to Roy Hibbert, reality is you are not going to match up well with us. We're hitting you all in the right places. The Atlanta Hawks do not match up well. I mean, the the Atlanta Hawks match up very well against Roy Hibbert and the Pacers. Antich and, and, and Millsap, the, everybody in that lineup can hit the three ball. Everybody in the lineup can hit the three ball. Everybody. Everybody can. So when you have that particular situation, that makes a guy like Roy, Roy Hibbert almost null and void. It's similar to, to uh, many years ago when I, the Sixers, when, when Dikembe Mutombo and the Sixers, 2002, year after the Sixers, I went to the NBA Finals. The Kemba Matambo and the Sixers went up against the Boston Celtics in the first round. The Boston Celtics under Jim O'Brien at that time was a team that loved the three ball, and everybody in that lineup could shoot from downtown. And in that series, because of what the Celtics can do in terms of spreading the floor, it made the Kemba Mutombo and what his skill set, what he had to offer, it, it, it made him null and void. It made him a liability. So it turned the Sixers' strength into a liability. That's what it did. It turned the 76ers' strengths into a liability. And with that being said, it, it basically the Sixers were better off with the Kemba Mutombo on the bench. And I look at this situation with the Indiana Pacers. They're better suited, I think, better suited with Roy Hibbert on the bench. I'm, I think I was still starting, but I'm not sure if I'm finishing the games with him. 
And I think I was throwing him for more of a confidence standpoint. But I don't, I don't think Roy Hibbert does anything for you in this series if you're the Indiana Pacers. He doesn't help you. He hurts you. He's a liability. He's a liability. And as long I mean, the, the, the matchups are the matchups. The matchups are the matchups. Millsap and, and, and Antich cause a, Mills, a, a, a matchup problem with him. Jeff Teague causes a matchup problem for the, uh, for the Indiana Pacers. George Hill's having a hard time keeping Jeff Teague in front of him. Having a hard time keeping him in front of him. And Roy Hibbert has been a mess in these playoffs. Been a mess near the end of this season. I mean, in, in, in the first two first, I mean, this guy has been awful. Has been awful. He only averaged, and I don't think we can be really surprised that he only averaged five points a game against the Hawks in the regular season. So it's really not a surprise. But <laughs> game one, only eight points. Game two, only six points. Game three, only four points. He's a liability. That's your, 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 your big-time center who you gave big-time money to, and he's putting up not-so-big-time numbers. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. We're going to bring in a guy now. Um, last night, and I know I definitely would have asked him this question if I had him on live, but last night we taped an interview with Isaiah Thomas, the Detroit Pistons, great Isaiah Thomas. And we talked about some of these NBA playoffs, and we also talked about uh, the bad boy Pistons in the documentary. So we did it last night with Isaiah Thomas. We're going to bring it in now. Let's bring him in now, Hall of Famer, the one, the only, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, how are you? I am great. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. All right. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, Isaiah, before we get to the bad boys, I want to talk about the current NBA playoffs at this point. You have the Atlanta Hawks up two games to one over the Indiana Pacers. You look at the, look at the Pacers right now. This team has really struggled, struggled near the end of the regular season and struggling right now. I look at this matchup, and I, it, it kind of favors the Hawks. The Hawks really match up well against the Indiana Pacers. How do you see this series? Is this a byproduct of the matchup that the Hawks have or a byproduct of poor Pacer play? Well, it, it's a combination of both. And, you know, just like in boxing, uh, the style makes the fight. And uh, here in basketball, um, the style uh, is making the competition here uh, in terms of the game. And, you know, the style of play definitely favors Atlanta right now. And the reason why is because Atlanta has uh, superior point guard play. And the point guard mm-hmm. play in the NBA right now is uh, the most important position out on the floor, and that happens to be where Indiana struggles at right now. They're not, um, they don't have a great point guard play. They don't have a, a penetrating point guard like a T who can get to the basket, who can make shots for other people, uh, and who can spread the floor. Indiana is a great three-point shooting team. I mean, Atlanta is a great three-point shooting team. 
that is where Indiana struggles at uh, from the three-point line. So uh, Atlanta hits them in all of the right spots, which makes it very difficult for Indiana to recover from. Do the Pacers pull it out? Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to become a, a, a better defensive team in terms of getting stops, and they're going to have to become a better offensive team in the next two games. And, um, you know, that's going to be very difficult for them to do. Uh, their identity has been rooted and based on the defensive end of the basketball, uh, and they're having trouble scoring. They, they, they have a problem scoring the basketball right now. I don't know where they will find the scoring. Uh, so they're going to have to rely on their on their defensive stops, uh, getting misses, getting out in transition, and getting fast break baskets. That's how they'll be able to score against the Atlanta Hawks. Now let's go to Memphis and OKC. You look at that series. Grizzlies now up two games to one. OKC made a furious run at the end. Ultimately, they send it in overtime. I thought at that point. Once they go into overtime, you favor OKC because now they have the momentum. But at the end of the day, the Memphis Grizzlies got it done. Can the Grizzlies win this series? The Grizzlies definitely can win the series um, if they continue to guard the three-point line the way they've guarded it. Um, OKC right now is struggling from the three-point line. Their offense is heavily rooted and heavily based from the three-point line, from the perimeter. And when you look at the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, they they shoot two pointers. They they play inside out. They play um, you know with with Randolph and Gasol inside close to the basket. Uh, so their 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 chances of scoring and their field goal percentage from a from a two point area is is much better than OKC's from the three point area. Right. right. And, and also looking back at some of the games Thursday night. You have the Clippers. You have Golden State. At the end of the day, Isaiah, was that a foul? Was Steph Curry fouled by Chris Paul on that three-point shot? Um, you know, it, 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 you know it's, it's touch and go. You, you like to see the, the referee at the end of the game uh, swallow the whistle on a situation like that. If the foul isn't uh, just um, uh, flagrant where everyone can see it, if it's a 50-50 call, uh, right. Then you know at the end of the game you you want to let that go. But if it's a, if it's one of the calls that you know you that everyone sees and you and you can't miss, you, then you send the guy to the line uh, at the end of the game on that. But for the most part, you don't want to send a player to the to the line to win the basketball game or to tie the basketball game on a foul like that. We're talking to Isaiah Thomas and Isaiah. Last week we see the thirty for thirty about the Detroit Pistons. First of all. How fun was it to relive all those memories and seeing all those memories? It, it was fun uh, to get back and be around all the guys and to really, um, you know, just just um, you know, be in the brotherhood of, of teammates again and uh, really connect uh, and and be about what we were about in terms of just being good friends, uh, good teammates, uh, telling stories and. Uh, reliving the past and just reconnecting. And one of the funny stories that came out of that documentary is before the 1981 draft, you didn't want to be drafted by the Detroit Pistons, and you tried to do whatever you could not to be drafted by the Detroit Pistons. Talk about that story. Well, I I live uh, from the west side of Chicago. I had never really um, 
been away from home other than uh, going to college at Indiana. Um, I grew up a, a Bulls fan, uh, watching Chicago Bulls, wanting to, you know, play in the stadium, dreaming about playing in the stadium. So when Mark Aguirre and I both went pro, uh, we, we both wanted to, you know, play for our hometown. That's, that's every kid's dream is to play for your, your hometown team, and uh, we were no different. Now, winning is a process, and ultimately you guys had to overcome the Boston Celtics to ultimately get to the NBA Finals. You, you look at it, it, it seemed like it was more just as mental as it is physical. Talk about the mentality that you guys needed to beat the Boston Celtics. Well, you know, when, when we talk about uh, mental, um, you know, you're talking about um, a tough-mindedness, tough-mindedness from a concentration standpoint and also, uh, um, you know, educating yourself about uh, when uh, learning from your mistakes and understanding how to execute your game plan, compose your game plan uh, for two and a half hours on the other team. Right. Uh, and philosophically, uh, staying in tune with, with what your values are, uh, what your team is all about. So when we, when we say mental is the physical as four is to one, uh, it's not a game of physicality. It's a game of, of about your mentality. And you guys, strong mental with the Detroit Pistons. I look at you guys, ultimately you guys won two titles. Easily it could have been three. You look back on the 1988 finals. If you don't get injured in game six, do you guys win that yes, NBA final yes, 1988? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I actually agree with you guys easily could have repeated. You look at how you got to that point, and ultimately you, you would lose in 1988, but ultimately you would get back in 1989, and ultimately you would win the NBA Finals. But one of the reasons that you guys went back to the NBA Finals was to trade Mark Aguirre for Adrian Dantley. After that trade, you guys go 37-4. and four. Looking back on that trade, if that trade does not happen, do you guys win back-to-back titles? No, we don't, uh, and, and we don't win for the simple reason uh, is Dennis Rodman never becomes the Dennis Rodman that that he became on our team. Uh, from you know, he became a five-time champion, uh, Hall of Famer, um, Defensive Player of the Year, and you know, before that trade was made, he was only playing you know, an average of 18, 20 minutes a night. Mark Aguirre came to our team, made the sacrifice. Uh, and when he made the sacrifice to let Dennis play more, uh, as you said, that's when our team really took off. And um, so we, we were we were all about being team teammates. We were all about sacrificing for the greater good, and the greater good was to win the basketball game and try to win the championship. And fortunately enough for us, uh, Mark Aguirre was committed to winning the championship. We're talking to Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah... Obviously, to this day, Andrew Dantley has some ill will towards you because of that particular trade. Any thoughts on that? Well, again, um, you know, he he has a very difficult time uh, seeing uh, Dennis Rodman, who was playing behind him, and the trade was made uh, for Rodman uh, to flourish in no other reason. 
and, and then obviously at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. Back-to-back titles, you go 37-4 to four after the trade. So uh, no matter how it happened, no matter how it went down, you really cannot argue with the results. And, Isaiah, you look at you guys, and you are well, in the air. You can't argue with the results, and you can't, you can't argue with the results, and you can't argue with Rodman being a five-time champion and is a Hall of Fame. I mean, that's oh, yeah, You're right. Those are the facts. (laughs) And you you guys, Isaiah, you guys ushered in the era of physical play. But I heard you say this, that really everybody was physical during that era. The Celtics and the Lakers, you watched that game, there was a lot of physical play going on in those games. It's really the only difference is that you guys kind of embraced it, you kind of glamorized it. Well, the, 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 the difference is we were a small market and didn't have um, tradition behind us. Uh, we were the first small market team, um, you know, to really, uh, in that era, uh, you know, dominate the NBA. So the narrative, um, you know, that was written for the Celtics and the Lakers, uh, their traditional style of play, uh, their tough style of play, the language that was used around their style of play uh, was different than our style of play in, uh, in terms of language. And I thought the film accurately pointed that out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it showed, um, you know, the Lakers giving hard fouls. It showed the Celtics giving hard fouls. And whenever hard fouls were given by the Celtics or the Lakers, uh, even when they were playing against each other, the language around their fouls was different in the language around our fouls. Right. Now, you look at it, at the time, Michael Jordan felt like you guys dirtied up the game. When you hear those comments, how do you feel? Uh, Michael Jordan came along in the era when they were winning, when the, when the rules changed. Uh, we were the last team of that era uh, to be able to play that physical style of play. Uh, once the rules changed, um, you know, then it became, um, I guess you would call it a, a more softer, gentler NBA. Um, you know, but back then, uh, we were no different than the Milwaukee Bucks, the Atlanta Hawks, the Boston Celtics, or the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, that was the era of the 80s. The Chicago right. Bulls um, were the era of the 90s. And 80s, 90s basketball, great time. For the NBA, and I look at the Chicago Bulls, they were like the Celtics to you guys. You know, basically, they had to overcome you to get over the hump and ultimately to win titles. When did you realize that that Bulls team was was going to surpass you? Not necessarily surpass you, but overcome you at some point. I, I would say, uh, you know, and, and again, Mark Aguirre pointed it out accurately in, in the film and documentary when when Scotty Pippen became a much better player. Uh, and it just wasn't, um, you know, Michael Jordan carrying the team. And also when Phil Jackson joined the team. When Phil Jackson joined the team, changed their system, implemented uh, new ways of playing, new ways of thinking, and Scottie Pippen became, you know, one of the top, you know, 50 players to, to ever play the game. Um, you know, so that that's they, they really took off, and that was, um, you know, the year that they beat us in um, – in 1991. 91, yeah. Now, you look at that particular series when they beat you in 91. Over the years, a lot of people have blamed you 
for the walkout, for walking off and not shaking hands with Chicago Bulls. Ultimately, as we saw in the documentary, Bill Lambert was the one. He said he was the one who organized the walkout. Do you feel vindicated at this point? It's not a matter of uh, vindication. Um, you know, the, the truth is the truth. And, um, you know, what, what we did as teammates, as you saw in the film, we always took up for each other. We always uh, stuck together. And whatever decision that was made uh, collectively, uh, that's what we lived by, and we lived by it for all these years. And, um, you know, Lambeer um, decided to to speak his truth, and, uh, you know, we, we live by it and we stand with him. We're talking to Isaiah Thomas. And, Isaiah, at the end of the day, you got you guys in the Pistons, you, you beat Bird, you beat Magic, you beat Michael. What does that say about those bad boy Pistons teams? Well, not only, um, you know, was that a great era in terms of, uh, you know, the best players ever playing the game, but also when you look at the 86 uh, Celtics and the 87 Lakers, um, those two teams, uh, people have said, are the one and two teams, uh, the best one and two teams to ever play. And, you know, so we had to beat uh, the, the Giants, we had to beat the Dynasties, uh, and we had to beat the greatest players. And um, fortunately enough for us, we were, um, you know, we were a team that, that played as a collective unit. Uh, we were not individuals, and consequently we were, over, we were able to persevere and overcome the obstacles. And, and ironically, I look at it now, the last team that you could say was like a team to win an NBA title as a team was, was the 2004 Pistons. Well, the, the, the tradition that we wanted to establish um, in Detroit is that we were a team, a, defen- a defensive-minded team first. That was the tradition that we wanted uh, to establish and be rooted in. Again, um, Bird walked into a Celtics tradition that was already established by Bill Russell and Red Arbat. Uh, Magic walked into a Lakers tradition that had already been established by Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, Kareem, so forth and so on. Uh, Jordan and I, uh, Jordan being uh, in Chicago, myself being in Detroit, uh, we had to make tradition. We had to establish rules. We had to bring culture. We had to bring uh, a governance and an openness to the locker room and the style of play. So everything we that uh, Chicago and, and Detroit had to do, and, and mainly uh, Detroit at the time, we, we had to bring uh, all that to the table to make it happen. So when you look at the 2004 Piston team that featured Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, it was a team uh, rooted in defense, uh, played a very similar style uh, to the way we played, and it's also a team that uh, – went on and defeated the Lakers uh, in the championship. And yeah. when you look at that Laker team, that Laker team was loaded. Uh, Shaq, Carl Malone, Kobe Bryant, Gary Payton, you know, they they had all the work. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. And that, that 2004 Pistons team, they, they played like a team, and they really dominated the Lakers in those finals. Let me ask you this. 1992, you have the Dream Team, and I look at the 1992 Dream Team as kind of a celebration of an era of basketball. You should have been a part of that celebration as far as I'm concerned. 
Does that sting? Does that, does that bother you 22 years later? You know, at the time, uh, I definitely was hurt. Um, I wanted to be a part of the team. Um, I wanted to participate and uh, have a chance to to win the gold medal. Uh, Once I got over the hurt, once I got over the disappointment, I, like uh, everyone else in America, rooted for the dream team, wanted them to win, and I I was happy and proud of the accomplishments they made. Uh, in the game of basketball and, and, you know, extending our game across the globe. We're talking to Isaiah Thomas. And, Isaiah, you've been a coach. You've been an executive in this league. Would you like to make a return to the NBA as a coach or a GM or an executive in this league? You know, I, I love the game of basketball. I enjoy what I do now uh, at NBA TV, talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if the opportunity ever presented itself, um I would want to make sure that, you know, you're with the right people who have, um, who share similar philosophies um, that, that I do in terms of uh, uh, approaching the game and, and trying to win championships. Now, Isaiah, you're doing big things in the community with Mary Quartz Foundation. Tell us about that. Uh, Mary's, uh, Court, Mary's Court Foundation, uh, it's, it's named after my mother. Uh, her name was uh, Mary Thomas, and uh, her commitment to the community, uh, she always wanted her kids and everyone else's kids uh, to be healthy, safe, and educated. Uh, our, our foundation uh, focuses and concentrates on those three things. Um, you know, on the safety side, we're working with uh, youth and gang violence uh, in Chicago around the Peace Tournament and also uh, the Windy City Hoops Tournament that we started with. Uh, the mayor, and also uh, from the health side, uh, we focus on, um, you know, healthy living in terms of uh, conditioning, getting in shape, making sure that you eat right, uh, making uh, healthy food choices. And on the education side, just making sure that, you know, all parents and kids have the information uh, that's available to them and have access to a quality education. Where can fans find information about some of the great things going on with Mary's Courts Foundation? Uh, you can go to Mary's Court dot Mary's Court Foundation dot org. It's Mary's Court Foundation dot org. Now, I, Isaiah, I remember many moons ago. I think this was in the eighties when the Mary Thomas story came on TV, and from there, I, I had a, a, a newfound respect for you and your situation, how you came out of that particular situation and how you got to where you are right now. I mean, that that movie, to me, kind of showed how you made it happen. It, it was definitely a, a tough living situation, and you have to remember that was a Disney movie, so it, it really couldn't show how tough it really was. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's the poverty line, and we were definitely below poverty. Um, you know, and somehow our, our mom and, you know, found a way to, to, you know, keep us, again, healthy, safe, and educated. Um, you know, that was her commitment. Education was her commitment. Uh, basketball was not the, the primary focus in the house, uh, making sure that you graduated from college and, and went to school and got a help and got an education. That was, that was the focus inside the household. Now, Isaiah, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? 
Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is I am Isaiah Thomas. So fans, Again, it's support. I am Go ahead. Isaiah Thomas. Fans, support all the great things going on with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. We'd love to do it again. Thank you very much, and thank you for your time. Isaiah Thomas, the great Isaiah Thomas, thanks, Isaiah, for uh, stopping by and dropping knowledge on the 30 for 30 about the Bad Boy Pistons. Good time, good conversation. Um, about two minutes left in the show, great show, as always. And I mean, we, we left talking about Roy Hibbert and the Indiana Pacers, and at this point in time, the game is tied at 35, but... You, you you're watching this series, and you don't even know, to be honest with you, who's the number one seed and who's the number eight, number eight seed, because these two teams again matchups. As Isaiah said, styles make fights. So these two teams basically match up very well against each other. The Hawks match up very well against the Pacers, and because of that, yes, Indiana might be the more talented team, but the Hawks have a matchup that is in their favor. The matchup is in the favor of the Atlanta Hawks. So in this series, the matchups favor the Hawks. And, and you wonder now, can the Indiana Pacers turn this thing around? And could it be over for the Pacers? And I'm, if I'm a fan of the New York Knicks. You know, and I said this is why I wanted the Knicks to make the playoffs because I thought the Knicks could actually stretch, not necessarily beat the Pacers, but stretch the Pacers. But now, looking at the way the Pacers are playing, maybe it's a good thing that the Hawks are in this in the in the playoffs against the Indiana Pacers because not only are they stretching the Pacers, but they look like they can actually beat the Pacers. We shall see. I want to thank Isaiah Thomas for stopping by. I also want to thank Brendan Kelly former Wisconsin defensive end for stopping by, and also want to thank Robert Thomas of Arkansas. You can listen to this show and other shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where you can listen to this show and other shows. Follow the show on Twitter at GoForGant. Before we get out of here, we were supposed to be joined by, uh, expected, we were uh, supposed to be joined by Clipper Darrell, uh, one of the greatest fans of all, NBA fans of all time, big-time Clippers fan, but unfortunately because of the things that, you know, because of the comments and everything of Donald Sterling, it wasn't able to happen. But Clipper Dell did make some comments. Um, quote, to know that the man responsible for putting me on the team playing to attend a playoff game in 2006 didn't like black people at his game is upsetting. Furthermore, to disrespect a legend like Magic Johnson, who has dedicated his life, his career to unite people, is a travesty, an absolute travesty. And Daryl went on to talk about how you know, he was treated unfairly about the Clip, by the Clippers uh, some time ago. He was talked about, he's seeing now why he possibly was treated unfairly. But anyway, you can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pcamp. For everybody here at GoFord, we hope you have a great weekend. We hope you have a great day. See you later. Take care. Bye.